Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. And I am pumped today to be joined by Brandon Angelo, one of the best film breakdown guys on rookie Twitter, Dynasty Twitter. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Mike, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to chop it up. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been following your work for a long time. Um, honestly, learned a lot from your film analysis. Uh, you you want to tell all my followers where they can find some of your work? And I know you do a lot on the website as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I created actually a website during COVID. It's angelanalysis.com. Um, and all my um, longer breakdowns, more in-depth ones around there, um, rookie guides, things of that nature to um, basically just discussing these rookies in depth and, and how they act and react as movers, how they fit into different offenses and what to kind of expect from them near term and long term. Yeah. And I, I love your website. I think you do a great job of kind of mixing in the narrative with a lot of film breakdowns as well, talking about different schemes that these players might fit in, so, sure. you know, ceilings and floors. So definitely make sure to check that out. Um, and speaking of that, one of the things that you talk about that I really like is you talk a lot about what, how much a scheme matters for mm -hmm. how much a player is going to succeed as well as, you know, what a player's potential ceiling and floor is. Absolutely. How do you kind of consider all of that both before the draft and after the draft when thinking from a dynasty lens? Yeah, that's a great question. I think really the, the biggest thing is, is how the player, you know, like I said before, a little bit alluded to acts and reacts in space, right? Mm -hmm. um, what kind of player are there when space condenses? What kind of player are they when they're given a lot of space and how do they create it for themselves, right? So we're talking about, let's say a receiver like Jackson Smith and Njigba, who is an unbelievable space creator, but he might not be able to do that in terms of a you know, vertical, vertical passing offense. Right. Yeah. So the fit with fit with Seattle and being in the slot primarily works really well for a guy like that. Um, but then there's also like scheme fits like Miami with Devon a chain. That's perfect fit to wide zone, be able to use his, use his ability as an accelerator and get him downhill. Um, just looking at it from that lens to how they played in college in terms of where they were, how they, like I said, operated with, with space closures and, and openings in space. Did they create for themselves? Were they, were they schemed open a lot? A guy like Jalen Hyatt, who yeah. was, you know, was open a ton downfield. He didn't create that himself. That was more byproduct of the Tennessee offense and, and how they worked with Hendon Hooker in that regard. So uh, just looking at all of those different factors and, and kind of, you know, analyzing that and, and kind of putting that into a, Hey, is this player going to be successful in this offense and this offense? And then kind of seeing what shakes out dynasty wise. Yeah, absolutely. And just giving a context to all of, you know, we all have numbers that we can work with and analyze in different ways, but being able to understand the offense they were in in college, how that's going to translate to the NFL. And, mm -hmm. and like a guy like Hyatt, like you mentioned, whether that's going to translate to fantasy points or, you know, whether it's just going to be a more of a field stretcher role, things like that. Sure. Um, are, are you a college football fan who's watching these yeah. prospects every Saturday or are you just breaking down the film? Yeah, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of college football. Um, went to a Big Ten school, so uh, I've, I've, uh, Illinois, University of Illinois. Okay. Um, I'm, not very I'm good, but... No, I'm in Chicago, though, and I went to Michigan. Nice, so, nice, yeah, nice, very nice. Very obviously. Um, but yeah, so I, I watch a lot of college football. Um, I try to spend my Saturdays, uh, obviously, with family, but, you know, I'll pop on a game here and there. Um, really like to watch SEC football a ton. Um, the, the talent level there is crazy, but... Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, all that stuff's fun to watch. And, you know, then I'll, then I'll break down the film as we kind of get closer and closer to bowl season. Nice, nice. And as far as how you consider like film and analytics working together, like I know sure. on, on your site, um, you mentioned some percentiles where players are, you know, above or below certain percentile thresholds, but those seem more sure. like, like, uh, 
like subjective film percentiles that you're ranking within a model or do you, how do you kind of construct your models to, to rank players in these ways? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think really the biggest thing is being able to weigh probability. I think that's why we, you know, yeah. what we're all trying to do is, is weigh the probability of X outcome. Um, that's the most important thing here when we're talking about, you know, drafting players in dynasty. Um, but yeah, I think really for me, it's just my best blend is 70, 30. So that, that's what I go with. Uh, I, I like to use a lot of film, but I also use a lot of analytics to help me make decisions and like mitigating factors, like, like bust rate, like what's the, yeah. what's the percentile, you know, percentage chance that a, a prospect will not hit X threshold. Right. And so just looking at those like more as mitigating factors in terms of, Hey, is this guy gonna, you know, this guy has a 65% bust rate versus like this guy has a 35% bust rate. Right. Which guy's ceiling is higher. Um, you know, as, as accordance to floor in terms of where you're drafting them. Right. So that's really what it is. It's kind of a, like a, a big, you know, big hodgepodge, let's say of information um, that we can kind of use and, and, and use it, you know, at, at our own volition. Cause really I think a big deal is what you're comfortable with is super. Totally. Important. Yeah. And when you consider something like bust rate, particularly like a few of the guys that you mentioned, like Devon Atchane, for instance, I, I don't think anyone's arguing that he doesn't have some bust potential, but when sure. you watch the film in college and when you, I mean, everyone has bus potential, but when you watch a film in college, when you factor in the fit and the pro scheme, that's when you can kind of look at the bus rate to maybe hedge your bets a little bit and not lift him too high, but also say, listen, he has all of these other traits that make me want to draft him. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's super important because, you know, if, if let's say a guy like uh, Devon A. Chain um, went to a team like the Rams, right. Versus the Dolphins, right. Yeah massive difference in terms of scoring output and potential you know the dolphins are a top five top six scoring offense with with, with two at the helm so that helps you know devon a change chance of being pretty fancy relevant if he's uh, if he's the lead guy there yeah no absolutely um and the other thing that that i like that you mentioned is that it, it all matters for the play style so sure when i initially started doing my film grades for instance i basically just graded on you know eight to ten criteria and then did a weighted average based on how important these various factors were but right. for a guy like devon Achain, like he might grade very poorly in uh power for instance or jameer gibbs in that in sure. terms of pushing the pile but does that really matter if it's not how they're going to be used right does right. it matter that jalen hyatt doesn't have short area quickness if he's not going to be used in that way so Really ta thinking about how a player is going to be utilized in the NFL, I think is super important when you look at a player's strengths and weaknesses and whether or not they, you know, matter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest thing in terms of role, right? Like if you're looking at a guy like Jameer Gibbs, um, yeah, he's not going to score super high on most power thresholds, but yeah. really, I mean, relative to, to how he is in terms of build and size and usage, he fares fairly well um, in that regard. So I think really it depends on, what their role is going to be at the NFL level, how they're going to be utilized. He's, you know, it's like, he's not playing the same role as Dave Montgomery is. Yeah. Um, and we're not expecting him to. So that would be different if the expectations there were flipped because then you have more of an issue of, Hey, you know, this guy might not be able to, to handle 20 plus touches a game, but he, that's not his role in the song as we asked to do. Um, but really looking at it from that standpoint, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Mike, in terms of role, what it means based on what their individual skill set looks like coming out of college. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're going to get to talking about kind of like five or so of the high end prospects and five or so of the lower end prospects in a minute. But sure. I had one question for you about yeah. how you evaluate these players in a dynasty rookie draft. Mm -hmm. How much do you care about 
like early production versus potential long-term ceiling? Are you hoping that these guys are going to contribute to your dynasty teams year one or, or how do you evaluate that? Yeah, I think it, that that really depends on too, like what, what your own dynasty team looks like, right? Like yeah. if you're in a startup versus if you're like your year three and you're in your rookie draft. Um, but really the big thing is looking at where they land in competition there and also like schematically who they have around them and, and how prominent is it, right? Look at like a guy like Quentin Johnston who's landed into, you know, potentially one of the best passing offenses in the NFL right now um, with, with Justin Herbert and, and the yeah. Chargers. So I think that's a big deal when you're looking at a long-term ceiling. Will a guy like QJ have a thousand yards year one? Probably not, but you're looking at a guy who can ascend into being one of the potentially best receivers in the NFL um, if things kind of shake right. And that's a big deal because if you know landing spot matters a lot in that regard, because you're not going to a bottom barrel passing offense, you're not going to a, a run first offense. Like let's say a Traylon Burks in Tennessee, his target share might be massive, um, but they're not a super high scoring offense, right? right? And they're not one that passes the ball a ton. So that matters a lot when we're kind of assessing that ceiling and floor. Yeah, I mean, I think all you got to do is look at how much, for instance, Garrett Wilson's dynasty value has increased this offseason with Aaron Rodgers coming into town versus a guy like Drake London. They had very similar rookie seasons. I could even argue that Drake London had a better rookie season. And now all of a sudden, Garrett Wilson is going, you know, one and a half to two rounds above him in a startup for draft. Sure. You could maybe get a first round pick on top of Drake London. Uh, if you move off Garrett Wilson, and that's all based on situations. So if you have a guy like Quentin Johnson, who is one of the guys we're going to touch on in more detail, sure. who you know he is tied to Justin Herbert for at least five years, right? He's got that five, yep. four plus one contract. That means a whole lot. And I was a little bit lower on QJ throughout the process. Um, but once he ended up in the Chargers, the like you said, the probabilities are super important. And if I thought he had a 10% probability of hitting that top tier outcome, I now think that's 15 to 20% or higher because he is tied to Justin Herbert. So if he is good, he is going to be elite because he has 100%. that quarterback. Yep, that's extremely important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get into talk about some of the prospects. The first one I want to start with is one that we've connected on briefly in the past, um, and that's Jameer Gibbs. It's a guy mm -hmm. that I was super high on in the pre-draft process. Once he went number 12 overall, um, really just changed his production profile, his prospect profile and the odds of him busting and the odds of him hitting by a significant, significant degree. Um, let's start off with the film though. W what type of player is Jameer Gibbs? Wh where do you think he succeeds and where do you think he could stand to benefit to improve a little bit more? Yeah. I think a guy like Gibbs, the interesting part is he's a true dual threat when you look at yeah. what he does at both runner and receiver i think the interesting part is if you just take jameer gibbs and put him in the slot full time he's still a late first round early second round draft pick right yeah and that's the difference between guys like gibbs and some of these other prospects in the draft like devon a chain they don't have that tier of skill set right jameer gibbs is going to walk into the nfl like a, in a handful of, of running backs that can be that guy, especially if they could play in the slot potentially. And that's what he does really well. Works really well in space. I really love him on angle and arrow routes in particular. Um, but really think he can be a secondary or tertiary option in a passing offense, which is what's really unique about his game. Um, I think his skill set as a runner is really underrated because I think we see 199 pounds and see, oh, this guy's probably not going to be a top tier runner in the NFL. But I do think a guy like Gibbs has the ability to, you know, score a touchdown anytime he touches the ball. Yeah. And absolutely. that's the interesting part about what he brings to the table. And I think what he's going to bring to that Lions offense is that home run ability, but also his ability to 
be a smart football player. I, I really like his between the ears skill set. He he you know he can create yards, but also understands when plays aren't there. When we're talking about longevity, that's one of the biggest deciding factors is do you play a million miles an hour or can you throttle down and process that information just as quickly? We see it at the NFL level all the time when guys can't do that. So let's take guys like Miles Sanders, Isaiah Pacheco, who play a million miles an hour, don't process well. So if things aren't there, they might force an issue. Guys like Gibbs, let's say, um, Christian McCaffrey in that regard too, understand openings and closures of space really well, understand um, on a down-to-down basis defensively from a schematic standpoint what they're going to be doing. If things aren't there, not forcing issues, going out of bounds, or not taking big hits because that's really for, for a guy like Gibbs, you want him healthy for the playoff run. And that's a big deal when we're talking about taking a guy at 12 at who is a who is a running back can he be healthy for you when it matters and i think he can be and that's a big big part of it um in his game yeah and basically there's there's uh, you know whether or not it's a smart draft pick at 12 is kind of a different question from the lions perspective but there's basically three ways that a running back can provide a lot of you know expected points added to an offense it's in the passing game it's with big plays on the ground and it's with converting essentially at the goal line. I don't think he's going to do the third one of that to mm-hmm. a high margin, although we can talk about that as well. But I think his running ability is being really underrated because you look at the way that he succeeds in the passing game. Like you mentioned on the angle routes, I love his ability to change speed. I think, yeah, like absolutely. you said, he, he knows where everyone is and he has the ability to look like he's sprinting and then he just takes off and hits a second gear. He can decelerate and accelerate so easily to create angles and beat players around the edge. I love the way that he can set up a cutback lane on some of these wide runs. You know, he he can slow down, push the edge out wide, slow down a little bit, and then he explodes. We were talking about, you know, maybe some of his, uh, you know, power numbers weren't that good, but in terms of his burst and his ability to push off one leg, especially that left leg I found, and just cut mm-hmm. back and get upfield, I thought was awesome. So yep. when you compare him to guys like Christian McCaffrey, guys like, you know, Chris Johnson back in the day, I saw sure. you made a Tony Pollard comp for him, which I sure. really like because, you know, not necessarily the same size, but in terms of how they could be used in the rushing game mm-hmm. where it might only be 12, 10 to 12 carries a game, but it's going to be these potentially explosive plays. I think Gibbs is going to be really, you know, a potential top 10 running back day one. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I, th- I think really, too, when you look at the Lions offense, they're you know, it's a top six scoring offense Yeah, who doesn't have a second receiving option right now mm-hmm. you know you have dj chark moving on you have tj hackinson getting traded last year you have you know williams now is suspended for six games um they don't have a second passing option it, it, it's not out of their own possibility to see jameer gibbs see 100 plus targets year one and yeah, if and he sees 100 plus targets that's i mean you're talking about a guy that will absolutely finishes the top 12 back especially with potential 700 plus yard rushing production. Yeah. You're, you're looking at a potential gold mine there, especially year one. If you're a contender, you're sitting at that 105, 106 spot. I mean, he's a perfect target there because of what we're looking at in terms of the overall nature of the lions offense and what he can provide. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've always used the comparison as basically like rookie year Kamara, who had 120 sure. rushes for 700 yards. He also had 100 targets for 81 catches and 800 yards. If you look at Austin Eckler's first breakout year was 130 rushes, but 108 targets. That's kind of what I'm expecting from Gibbs year one. And both sure. of those guys finished as top five running backs in that year. Um, the one thing that Gibbs needs to do to really hit, let's say, a top three running back, a Christian McCaffrey type ceiling, mm-hmm. which is obviously, you know, hard to do when no one's projecting, is he needs to score touchdowns. So do you think he has the ability to get a handoff on first and goal at the four yard line? Or is that just going to be David Montgomery every single time coming in? Uh, it's it's can he versus will he? I think. Yeah. Fair, can he? Fair. Sure. I think the Lions offensive line is good enough to create space for him. Um, he's smart enough to be able to find those creases and and get in the and get in there in the low red zone. But I think that's David Montgomery's role, right? Similar yeah. to Jamal Williams. Um, and I referenced this on the site before the trade. I think it's like a DeAndre Swift Jamal Williams pairing, where it's you have the the guy who's the space creator. Um, I think Gibbs is a lot better receiver than Swift is from a traditional standpoint, being utilized in the slot and outside. You know, Gibbs played over twenty percent of his snaps out in the slot and outside in his last year at Alabama. So he kind of fits that bill pretty well, but a guy like Dave Montgomery, who I'm a big fan of being a, obviously being a bears fan. Yeah. Um, I think he fits that role perfectly in being the low red zone banger um, and in short yardage situations. So I, can he score touchdowns? Yes, but I, I wouldn't, I'd would be shocked if he scored more than six, five. Uh, I don't think he's gonna get the opportunity to, but that's where I think, you know, that gets mitigated by, you know, potentially getting hundred plus targets. So it's, it's kind of that good and bad. Um, because also obviously Montgomery's another guy there that, that can have a you know he's a thousand he's I think he's at a thousand total yards every single year he's been in the league yeah. so he's not like a slouch, um, but that's the difference between like a Gibbs and like a Christian McCaffrey where you know in Carolina really after McCaffrey's rookie season no one was there so you might as well just give him give him all the touches and let him eat. Yeah, absolutely. And the middle of the field is going to be very interesting for these lines. Like you for said, sure, Williams is out for six weeks. Um, and it's really just ARSB and Gibbs working over the middle of the field. Even a guy like Sam Laporta is more of an interior yeah, 100%. And a boundary guy. So it's going to be interesting. But that is really what Goff's strengths are at quarterback. And it's mm-hmm. what the Lions' strength is, which is in their offensive line. So like you, I think, you know, this was a top six scoring offense last year. I expect it to be again this year. Um, my projection for Jameer Gibbs real quick, I got him for 160 rushes for 850 yards and five touchdowns and 70 catches for 600 yards and five touchdowns. That would get him to 16 points per game, which would be the RB nine on average in a given year. Um, I try to be, you know, optimistically conservative is kind of how I, sure. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with that actually too. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, I mean, everyone's saying, oh, he's not going to be a bell cow. First of all, bell cows don't really exist in the NFL today. And second, he is getting to that with a target share lower than I think he's going to get and with only 10 carries a game. So it doesn't right. take a whole lot if you're receiving the ball to be an elite running back. Right. No, 100%. I, had a, I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, definitely interesting to see um, what they do in terms of utilizing him in the low red zone. If they do decide to do that, right, if they decide to go more of a hot hand approach than um, what they did with Swift and, and Williams, but um, but I do think Montgomery takes a. I think he's also Montgomery's a value this year too. I Me think. too. I mean, I think he's I think gonna so he's a he's gonna score ten plus touchdowns. He's yeah, like that. Is, I think it's an absolute. If he stays healthy for sixteen games, seventeen games, it's a lock. Yeah. Um. But yeah, how many low red zone touches will Jameer Gibbs get? Probably not many because you're drafting a guy at twelve. You want that guy to be there for the rest of his career. 
right? Absolutely. I mean, that's really the goal is you want that guy to be the vocal point of your offense for the next, you know, six years, seven years. And you want to keep that guy in the field. So um, I think getting a guy like Montgomery, who's a veteran, who's who can take those touches away and do well with them. Absolutely. And just by Gibbs being drafted in the top 15 picks as a running back, he is essentially locked in to have at least one top 24 season. For Only sure. one running back who was drafted in the top 15 since 2000 didn't have a top 24 season. And that's out of 22 running backs. And half of those running backs had a top six season within their first two years in the league. We're looking at a massive upside for Jameer Gibbs. You mentioned him at the 105 or 106. Is that kind of where you're comfortable taking him after those top three quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, after I think the top three quarterbacks, especially in, in super flex, you're, you're kind of looking at Gibbs, JSN. Um, and, if, you know, I, I think in premium, you're not tight end premium, you're not looking at Kincaid just yet. But I think, no. yeah, like the, those two guys, I think it's really going to be between Gibbs and JSN. That, yeah. That's really it. But John Robinson is going to go. Um, I think he's undoubtedly the, the 101 in this class, if, um, especially if you have a chance at contending. Um, but yeah, I think it's really between JSN and Gibbs. I think long-term, I think Gibbs still gives you a decent amount of upside. Um, because like I said, you're going to want a guy like that to be on the field for, for six, seven years, right? This is not a guy that's just going to be a first contract back. Um, and your ideas with him are more long-term than short-term. Um, so I, I would, yeah, I would, I would, I would say Gibbs and then JSN right after. And then after yeah, that, and- it gets fun with Addison and, you know, Addison and Johnston and, um, flowers, et cetera. Yeah. And one of the things I like to say is, you know, the running back, you know, seven right now is Josh Jacobs. The wide receiver seven is like Garrett Wilson or Jalen Waddle. Sure. So running back is just, there isn't a lot of talent at the top right now that we can feel safe investing in who are young. We had a lot of injuries to the 2020 class. We had, you know, Kenneth Walker getting someone drafted this year. So I like investing in that running back over JSN, but let's transition into talking about JSN. Another player who I loved, he was number fourth in my film, number four in mm-hmm. my film grades of any wideout since 2018. Sure. Um, absolutely love him. That's behind only CeeDee Lamb, Devontae Smith, and uh, Jamar Chase. Uh, how do you feel about JSN and, and what makes him such a good wide receiver who can excel in Seattle? I think really it's kind of that similar to what makes Keenan Allen such a great receiver, yeah. right? For such a long time, it's his ability to understand what's coming and have solutions for it continuously. And that's what JSN does well. He's a great mover. I think he's, he's a bit quicker, but a bit smaller than Keenan Allen is. Mm-hmm. But I, I also think that they're the same when they're, they're both 150 target guys, right? You're, you're, you're giving this guy high leverage touches from your one, uh, I love the pairing with with Lockett and Metcalf. I think you know Lockett has maybe one or two years left until his yep. his, his play might start to fall off a bit. Um, but getting JSN in that slot role where you can have Metcalf outside and Lockett at the Z potentially, and letting him you know do what he does well with free releases, I think that's a s- awesome landing spot for him, especially when you're believing in a guy like Geno Smith, who's a timing based passer. I think that's what Geno Smith does really well, especially with Tyler Lockett. And I think DK Metcalf's going to become one of the premier deep threats in the NFL right now yep. um, with this move. Cause I think it, this, this gives D- DK Metcalf the ability to be that third level guy, right? Before you're trying to work a guy like Metcalf over all three levels, don't think he fits as well for the middle of the field. Cause he's not as abrupt a mover as you'd like to see there, but I, JSN is going to be one of the, best middle of the field dominators in the league in the next two, three years. Um, he's a pro bowl caliber guy. 
So, yeah, I, I think very, very highly of him. And, you know, if you're choosing between him and Gibbs and, you know, your rookie drafts, I, I, either one of them. I mean, both, both those guys are fantastic. Yeah, and I think he could really do it from day one. I mean, speaking about Metcalf, his role in 2020, for instance, he had way way higher percentage of his targets, medium deep in the field. And recently he has been having to work the short game a little bit because Seattle just, it's really just been Metcalf and Lockett there. Um, Tyler Lockett, by the way, his cap hit is $27 million next season. So yep. whether they cut him, whether they restructure him, JSN is going to be taking over um, this wide receiver room. There's enough to go around with Metcalf and Lock and uh, Lockett for JSN to get involved there. I actually think Gino is a similar player to CJ Stroud in terms of some of their strengths and weaknesses. At sure. least, yeah, at least Gino Smith last year, not not the rest of his career, but last year. So I think JSN is going to have no trouble fitting in. I mean, we saw him lead a team with Garrett Wilson and Chris Alave, who are both top 10 dynasty wide receivers. He put up a hundred yards in five straight games to end his junior, his sophomore season, nine plus catches in all of those games. My question for you is, do you think JSN is a slot only guy? I, in, in the past Lockett's played about half of his snaps from the mm -hmm. slot and half out wide. So there is some question as to whether JSN is going to split time outside. Do you think sure. he's a slot only guy or is he capable um, as, as I guess probably the, the Z or the Y. Yeah, I, I think really uh, the, yeah, he's ab, ab, most, most receivers are capable in all three positions. If, if they're yeah. going to be drafted in the first round, right. You're not drafting a player in the first round to play one position for you. Um, but one thing I will say is he will succeed mightily in the slot. And it'll be an absolute headache for defensive corners to game plan against similar to Cooper cup. Like, why would you take a guy out of that element if he's absolutely dominating there? Um, it's a lot easier to get him touches in the inside than it is in the outside. So I think can he absolutely can be a great Z, great movement Z for that offense. I think that was, you know, like with Devontae Smith too, a guy like that yeah. is you know, not the biggest guy in the world. You can put him at X, Z slot, doesn't matter. Guy can produce. Um, with as smart as JSN is as a player, I think you can put him anywhere and he'll succeed. I think the most success he'll have is, though, on the inside because you're giving him a two-way go. You're giving him yeah. that free release. Um, yeah, I, I think he, he can dominate there for years to come. And he's so smart against zone. He's really good at finding right. space. And his running there, after yeah. catch ability, I mean, you see his his strength and, like you said, his knowledge of space, um, his agility. He set the combine record for the three-cone and shuttle, shuttle drills. All of that translates on film, especially inside. Um, let's move on and talk about the next wideout that you mentioned, which was Quentin Johnston. Uh, we all kind of know what his pros and cons are, right? Incredible athlete, incredible run after catch. I mean, his ability to catch the ball on a comeback and immediately make that spin move. It, it's really just became his signature play as I was watching his film, sure. but he's not high pointing the ball all the time for a six, four guy. And that became a big focus of his tape. Mm -hmm. Is that something when you're watching film that you think he can be that can be coached into him? Is that something you're worried about long term? And kind of what type of player do you see him as? Is, is he a Mike Williams replacement or is he more versatile than that? I, I think his versatility is what really stuck out to me when I watched him, even as a freshman at TCU. That, that's when he yeah. really started to stick out to me. But the thing um, that we look at when we look at TCU schematically, not a lot of timing-based patterns no. um, and not a lot of opportunities for him to to be more than a, either, he, you know, a lot of nines, a lot of slants, and, you know, a lot of get him touched around the line, line of scrimmage, right? Um, that's really what they did with him. Um, that doesn't mean his capabilities can't go beyond that. Um, but I think the scope of what they did was was very simple 
Um, and he's a very complex player as a mover, especially at his size. Yeah. Um, can he be a guy that high points the ball and win, you know, be a ball winner? Absolutely. Will he be? Don't know. We haven't seen it consistently because that wasn't really his role at TCU. Um, he's more comfortable cradling and, and doing the, that sort of thing in terms of what, when the ball comes to him. Obviously, we don't we don't prefer that, but um, that's where he's at in developmentally right now. Um, does that mean he's not going to be a great receiver? Absolutely not. You know, guys like Des Bryant, same thing, right? Yeah. That's kind of how he came in the league. But I think looking at where he's at in that receiver room, I think it's a good fit because one thing I said is I think he's a day one producer from the slot. Like he mm-hmm. can absolutely dominate from the slaughter at Z and moving him around, right? Because Keenan Allen's going to play Z for them. Mike Williams is going to be at X. You yeah. put Quentin Johnston in the slot at, you know, 6'3", 208 pounds with his movement skills, good night. I mean, that's going to be a place where he can produce year one. I think he's also a player, when he starts to see production, it's it's going to be, you know, like the ball dirt rolling downhill, right? Yeah. It's going to start to gain steam, and he's going to start to, like I said, ascend into being one of the – potentially most productive receivers in the NFL if he can stay healthy. And I think he gets a three-level role as soon as um, one of those guys leave. Yeah, exactly. And both of those guys have had some injury issues recently. Um, QJ is a very, you know, he's a unique player. He's the only player um, in the PFF database with over 60 targets to put up a yards after catch per reception above eight and an average depth of target of 16 or higher. Um, he's just a player who can threaten you at all three levels. Like you said, I think he's going to get a lot of uh, manufactured touches early on, on some screen passes, on some drag routes. I know he destroyed Michigan in the semifinal game on that drag route where he just outrun everyone to the sideline. Um, he's going to be a very impressive player. And like we mentioned earlier, tying him with Justin Herbert really just elevates the probability of him hitting that ceiling, which we all know is massive. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think really, you know, for, for, for guys like that, it's just getting acquainted to the NFL and the NFL offense, to the structure, the flow of the game, the speed of the game, and then kind of looking at, you know, where they're going to sit. Cause that's a good offense. That's a really good offense. And Justin Herbert's going to be tied to him long-term, which is a great quarterback to be tied to. Um, And also he has two aging receivers who are going to be, you know, in their, like in their way out of the league in the next four years, three years. So a guy like Johnson needs some time to develop and you couldn't pick a better spot for him to develop in. And I think that's a perfect fit. Yeah. Especially with Kellen Moore coming in who I really like there. Yeah, absolutely. I will be shocked if Mike Williams is still on the team next year. He has one year left on his contract where he has a $32 million cap hit. They can save 20 million by just cutting him. Mike Williams as a 30 year old injury prone, you know, wide receiver three is not going to be making $32 million. No. 100%. 100%. I agree. Yeah. So definitely Quentin Johnson could flash this year, hopefully get even better next year. Let's move on to Devon Atchain, um, I, who I absolutely love. I've had a bunch of uh, pretty uh, controversial arguments uh, about him because, you know, mm-hmm. he is apparently he's 192 pounds now, not 188. Pounds. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. I, I yeah, see that. He, uh, he, he went to Burger King a few times in the last few weeks. Yeah. Uh, get first it. of all, the fit is just incredible. Could, could you talk a little bit about, Devon Atchain's game, we know the speed, but he's a more complex runner than that, and the fit in the McDaniels offense is just going to be perfect. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think the one thing with, with a guy like A-Chain is his, his ability to play with power, you know, yeah. for a guy who is of smaller stature. I, I compare him to Raheem Mostert. I think that's – we have Olympic-level track speed, good runner, understands wide zone very well in terms of the ability to 
process when to to hit it and go. That's important, and especially in McDaniel's McDaniel's scheme. Um, but yeah, I like him a lot as a player. I think he has a little bit more to offer you too as a receiver that we haven't we didn't see a ton of at AM. Um, especially because you know Spiller was there for for three years. Um, but yeah, I think really for a guy like A Chain, he can be the lead back in that offense. He's the I think he's the best running back there right now, most complete. Um well, Jeff Wilson's good. He's been good for a long time. Raheem Mostert is, you know, he's 30 years old, right? I mean, he's, he's not going to be, a, you know, a 15, 20 touch per game guy. I don't think any of those guys will. But I think from a productivity standpoint, um, with A-Chain's ability to to read openings and closures and his ability to get up field in the wide zone scheme, I think he's hands down the most productive back in that backfield. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Raheem Mostert has only played over 11 games twice. He's only received over 105 carries twice. He's not going to be a guy who's going to carry the load there. And Atchane's just a much more talented player than a guy like Jeff Wilson. You mentioned his ability to break tackles and now his power is better than expected. You know, in college, he had a 68th percentile yards after uh, contact per attempt. He had a 90th percentile elusive rating. This guy, he's not just a downhill runner. Like I look at, for instance, a guy like Sean Tucker, who, in my opinion, all he was when he had a crease was he was just going to run straight and run fast. Atchain, I thought, was much better at understanding the space around him at Mm -hmm. setting up his blocks. Um, And he was able to carry a pretty big workload, especially, like you said, given A&M had some other good running backs around him. No, 100%. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head about Sean Tucker, too. I think uh, a, a player like Tucker, obviously, you know, the, the condition he had is what led him to be a UDFA, not his talent. Yeah. But, yeah, I think really it, it's just being able to, to to see the game, right, to process as fast as you play. And that's hard for some athletes, right? You saw a guy like Ronald Jones who coming yeah. into the NFL, you could see his talent, right? You, you can see the ability to to accelerate, to stop, to change direction. He was great at that. But – we didn't see the ability to process information improve. And that's why Ronald Jones doesn't have, doesn't have a great role right now. He's in the Cowboys. He's going to be a, probably, you know, a tertiary back. But I think, yeah, it's a big deal when we're talking about guys like, like a chain, like Tucker, it's, you know, Tucker in particular being a, being a better back at processing information around him and, and making decisions accordingly. Yeah. And I mean, obviously we know at chain size, he's quite small. Um, and, he's going to have to be an outlier. Like I I understand that, but he was able, he had at least 16 carries in nine of his 10 games this last year at A&M, including 38 against LSU, where he put up 215 rushing yards. He has the ability to handle a workload. And like you said, they have other backs there that they're going to be rotating in and out. Um, Let's move on to talk about probably my favorite prospect in this draft, which was Dalton Kincaid. I absolutely love him. My listeners have heard me uh, wax lyrical about him many times. So I'm just going to hand it off to you. Tell me what you liked in Kincaid's film and the fit with uh, the Bills and Josh Allen. That's a lot of things. Like when you look at Kincaid, I think the one thing is similar to Zacher. It's kind of just dominates the middle of the field. Oh, yeah. Like, and I think Kincaid's a little bit more athletic than given credit for. Um, but the ability to, you know, to high point the ball and the ability to play through contact in the low red zone is something I think that the off the Buffalo Bills offense was really missing. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with Cole Beasley you know, not being on the team anymore. Um, Isaiah McKenzie not being as productive as, you know, those who liked Isaiah McKenzie and the coaching staff wished he would be. I think you're you're talking about a guy that's going to potentially be the middle middle of the field guy. Um, 
be a target hog there and open things up for Stefan Diggs. So I, th- I think Gabe Davis is, yeah, he's okay. I think he's a, you know, he's a level three guy. I think he can make plays down the field, but he's just a, he's a stretcher. That, that's all he's, that's all he's going to be. I think in the NFL, um, his skill set hasn't advanced enough, but a guy like Kincaid can, you know, he, he can win the middle of the field. He can win outside the numbers. Um, if he can stay healthy, man, he's, you know, he's a gold mind and uh, tight end premium. If you're talking about a guy, you know, at the 109 plus mark, this is, this is someone who can have, you know, in year two, 110 targets, 100. He's, he could be the second option in that passing attack. And if you're the second option in the top four passing attack, top three, top three passing attack in the NFL, you're going to definitely produce. And I think he has the tools to do so. I had him rated actually higher on film than Michael Mayer. And I love Michael Mayer, but I think Kincaid's a guy that could be a pro bowler at the position and, and be an absolute force in that offense for years to come. Yeah. I mean, his ability to high point the ball, he's not the tallest player, but in the middle of the field on those seam routes, first of all, like you said, he can fight through contact if they're playing a zone, that first level of linebackers, and he can take a hit and hold on to the ball. His hands, in my opinion, were the best in this class for yep. any pass catcher. Sure. His body 100%. control on the sideline. Like you look at a guy like Dawson Knox, who's been averaging, you know, 60 catches for 600 yards and eight touchdowns for the last two seasons. To me, that's basically Kincaid's floor because. Kincaid's basically better at everything you can imagine um, than a guy like Dawson Knox. I think Kincaid also has some ability after the catch. Yeah, um, for sure. Interesting to see. And, and the fit is just amazing because, like we said with Quentin Johnston, he is tied to one of the best passing quarterbacks in the league. I know Josh Allen always gets credit for his rushing, and obviously that's quite impressive as well. But Josh Allen is going to throw for 4,300 yards and 35 touchdowns a year as well. Gabe Davis, I think, is better fitted as kind of like the Donovan Peoples Jones field stretcher who yeah, maybe that's a, that's doesn't, a good comparison for sure. Yeah. Who's getting, you know, 13 to 15% target share instead of the 20 that he was forced to absorb last year. And I think right. that Kincaid's going to get a big boost there. Um, and obviously won't be double teamed because Diggs is going to be taking a lot of those and they have to put an extra player on Josh Allen as well. So right. I'm really high on Kincaid. I know tight ends don't often succeed as rookies, but Kincaid's a little bit older. Do you think mm-hmm. he can succeed year one? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think, you know, from an age standpoint, it's really just experience, right? I think I think for a guy like Kincaid, his role is going to be pretty massive. Um, so I think he plays a lot of he spends a lot of time in the slot. Because who who do they have right now in the slot? No. Right. I mean that that's the thing is a guy like that, you know, playing that Zach Ertz type role, right? Being able to to win the middle of the field. Mark Andrews is a guy that comes to mind as well. Like Mark Andrews is in the blocking tight end no. right he was a you know number one pass catcher for lamar jackson so i think that's what we're going to look at in terms of how they can be a safety blanket um for their quarterback and a guy like kincaid fits that bill yeah and, and mark andrews was one of the main comps that i made for kincaid as well just in you know similar athletes but the ability to just stretch the seams uh use their size and leaping ability um and you look at dawson knox he was only lined up in line on 30% of his snaps last year, meaning he was in the slaughter out wide on 70%. I think sure. Kincaid just absorbs basically all those snaps. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. All right, so moving on, let's talk about some of the lower-end prospects, some of the players that you might be looking at in the sec- in the maybe late second to fourth round of your dynasty drafts, depending. Um, and let's start off with a guy you mentioned earlier, uh, Bears running back Roshan Johnson. 
Um, He obviously played behind Bijan, so his numbers weren't prolific. But when you dive into the film, there is a lot to like about Roshan and his fit on the Bears. Yeah, absolutely. I think think really the biggest thing is pass protection. That's what you you miss when Dave Montgomery goes to Detroit is the ability to protect Justin Fields. And I think that's what Dave Montgomery did better than almost about any running back in the NFL. Uh, You got his, you know, pass pro grades. He's been top three ever since he was a rookie. Um, him and Nick Chubb have been consistent in that regard. So I think that's a big one that Roshan Johnson comes in, absorbs the third down snaps because he can protect Justin Fields and he can also be an adequate receiving option out of the backfield. Where I think it's interesting is the low red zone. Um, last year, Chicago was purely hot hand. Whoever's on the field was on the field. Yeah. I think that changes. And I think you see more of that DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, right? Of that, hey, we have a really explosive, talented guy in Khalil Herbert. Let's not use him in the low red zone all the time. Let's let's let the you know let's let Roshan Johnson absorb some of those touches, because um, I think he has the ability to be a pretty dang good low red zone back. Yeah, I think so as well. And the Bears last year typically did you know two two uh, drives for Montgomery, one drive for Herbert, or if Herbert was going pretty well, they would formula, do two yeah. and one. The really simple. Um, it's going to be interesting because they do have three good backs this year who all have pretty complementary skill sets. I, I'm a, I've always been a fan of Deontay Foreman, and I think all three could get that you know red zone role. So we'll see sure. whether Roshan can come in um, and take that immediately. But some of his underlying numbers, you know, 92nd percentile in elusiveness, 81st percentile yards after contact per attempt, um, PFF pass block grade was up in the 80th percentile. So sure. there's a lot to like about Roshan. Um Let's talk about another running back who went significantly later than was expected. It's a player whose film I absolutely loved. I had him ranked as basically a round two guy. Um, Zach Evans ended up going in the sixth round to the Rams. It's about as bad draft capital as you could have, you know, predicted, but it's a pretty damn good landing spot. So how do you feel about Evans in, in LA? I think it's interesting because I, you know, you look at Evans, there was times when he played like, the best recruit in this class because he yeah. was yeah and there's times when you thought this guy might be out of the nfl in a couple of years um and that's the tough thing is the consistency and that's why he fell to the sixth round i think right on tape you can see those flashes of brilliance you see those you see the you can see a potential you know lead back in nfl offense but also you saw a lot of mistakes uh, especially as a pass catcher um and decision making too so that's a big reason why it's like, okay, can this guy be the guy in the NFL offense? I think he can be, right? I think he has a talent to be. I think we've seen that continue, you know, continuously throughout his career, especially in high school coming out. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a he's an interesting guy because you take a you take a flyer on a guy like him and Keishawn Bouti, right? I mean, those are yep. guys that are super uber talented guys for whatever reason couldn't figure it out with Bouti. You have the injuries and then the off the field concern. Um, with Evans, you used to have a lot of glaring inconsistencies and, and weird check marks on his profile. Um, so guys like that, I mean, you're, you're taking a swing at them because, you know, they could be pretty relevant pieces in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And for a guy like Evans, it's it all depends on basically whether he earns the coach's trust because he is an explosive player. We saw mm-hmm. Cam Akers lose the trust of McVeigh last year. Um, and other players in the past. So we'll see what happens with Evans, but he's a guy that I'm very interested in in the mid third round because 
that upside is enormous. Like I, I could see them benching Acres after one week and just giving Evans the job because they don't care about draft capital there. Um, right. Cam Akers, uh, who knows if he's going to get a second contract. He hasn't done that much in the NFL to really deserve that as of yet. Sure. Um, let's touch on uh, a wide receiver who is falling unbelievably far, and I'm talking about Nathaniel Tank Dell. Uh, I've gotten him in the fourth round of some rookie drafts, which is absolutely insane. C.J. Stroud pounded his fist for the Texans to draft Nathaniel Dell as his potential wide receiver one coming out of the gate. I really liked his film. Obviously, he's quite small as well, especially for a guy named Tank. But tell me what you saw in film and what you're predicting for Tank Dell in the NFL. I mean, he was the best low red zone player in the whole class. I mean, it's incredible. It's yeah. I mean, basically Hunter Renfro. That that's yeah. who you think of, right? I mean, 100%. this is a this is a a prospect that's going to come in and he's going to help that offense day one. I mean, this he's a good player. We don't like him because of his size, right? That's the big reason, like 5'8 and some change, 160, 170 pounds. He's going to really help that Texans offense and open things up for Stroud. And there's a reason why Stroud pounded the table. It's because Tank Dow is going to really help them in the low red zone. They have two really good low red zone guys right now in, in Schultz and Dell. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's going to help that offense um, and help CJ Stroud's development mightily. Um, but I really, I mean, he's a smash for me in the fourth round. I mean, guys like him, and we'll, we're going to talk about Puka Nakua, and we can do that right now, too. But guy like Puka, too, I mean, he's Robert Woods. He's, he slots right into that role. Um, productive in college, uh, kind of injury riddled, but I mean, those two guys are guys that are definite targets for me in that range because they can have a pretty sizable NFL role and provide some good weeks for you fantasy wise. Yeah. And it might not be something where like, I don't think the ceiling on tank Dell is that high, similar to, you know, Hunter Renfro is never going to put up 1500 yards in an NFL season, but these guys can be very valuable for you as flex pieces and as fourth round picks what are you risking? And for tank Dell, I mean, I thought that his suddenness out of breaks and his footwork was some of the best in the class. You combine that, you combine that with his ball tracking and body control, like you said, in the low red zone, it's really impressive. I mean, I, I saw some of Josh downs in tank Dell's game as well. For sure. Um, And I think he's going to be a very good pro from day one. And some, like, like I said, Nico Collins is kind of that just field stretcher. They need someone to operate over the middle of the field. And CJ Stroud is good at throwing it on time and on target to open players. And tank Dell's a guy who is in the always open club. Um, Another guy in that club, like you mentioned is Puka Nakua. He's actually a guy that I did not go too far into until after the draft. Can you tell me a little bit more about his game? He went in, I believe, the fifth round to uh, the Rams. Mm-hmm. Yep, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Puka is one of those guys who, like I said, like Robert Woods in terms of role, right, can be the jet sweep guy, good after the catch, just kind of a smart, savvy football player. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to be a good fit in the NFL for a long time if he stays healthy because a guy like that just knows how to win. Right, can in can play winning football. Um, I like him a lot. I when you watch his tape, I mean, he graded out higher for me than Jalen Hyatt did. Um, because I just think you you have a guy that knows how to win on all three levels. Is he the biggest guy? Nope. Is he the fastest guy? Nope. But he's a guy you can plug into an NFL offense and he can have success from day one, I think. Um, in that in that role that McVeigh likes to have, that's been kind of missing, right? I mean, they tried Ben Skaronic in that, not you know, didn't really work out very well. But Robert Woods, I think, is the ceiling for a guy like Puka. Yeah, and I think if you just look at Puka's overall numbers, you know, 1,700 yards across four seasons is not that impressive. But 
that a lot of that had to do with the offense at BYU. He's in the 97th percentile in yards per route run. He is in the 97th percentile in PPR points per route. He's a guy who was really productive at by BYU. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't underestimate that just because of their system. No, hundred percent. I agree. Um, last guy I want to touch on before I let you go is Jaden Reed. He's a player again, you know, as big 10 fans, both of us saw him quite a bit. Uh, the thing that stood out to me when watching Jaden Reed, I didn't think he had any significant strengths on film. Feel free to disagree with that. But to me, he always made the big play. I thought his leadership, they trusted him on every third down and watching him in these big 10 games, he was just their go-to guy in the clutch. Um, which I know is more of an intangible than I typically like to like to hone in on, but mm-hmm. it really just stood out all the time. So tell me a little bit more about Jaden Reed. I know I know Matt Harmon at Reception Perception has been a huge fan of him and his game. So tell me what how do you think Reed's going to do in kind of an open wide receiver? Yeah, I, here goes this. I think he's one of the better big play like need a play receivers in the class. Yeah. You kind of alluded yep. to that. Uh, he's kind of a gamer. I mean, I'm not surprised he went so high because he's he's the he's a prospect that profiles as a better pro than collegiate you know collegiate receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. I think he, you know productive as a freshman to a Western Michigan. Um, productive when he transferred. Uh, I I don't think he does anything exceptionally well, but you're exactly right. He makes the big play when it matters, and an offense who needs a consistent guy like that. I think Christian Watson has a chance to be good. You know, Romeo Dobbs is, I think, okay. But I think in terms of the guy there, there's a question mark. And I don't think either of those two are the answer. Um, I think Reed could be that guy, especially with the capital he got, there seems to be, you know, the vote of confidence in him. Um, And I think he could be that pretty early and be a safety blanket um, um, for, um, for Jordan Love in that offense. Yeah, and he's a pretty versatile weapon as well. I I didn't like that his production pretty much fell off a cliff his senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's coming into the league. He's gonna be he's turning twenty four during his rookie season. Yeah, but from a dynasty perspective. Yeah, from a value perspective, I I'm a little bit lower on him because I'm worried that it, if he doesn't succeed year one, which is always a possibility, at sure. that point it's pretty hard to see a route for him to ever be you know a top fifteen, top eighteen sure. dynasty guy. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But that being said, I, I do think he'll be an effective uh, pro player. I'm I'm probably higher on Christian Christian Watson than than most people are, uh, to yep. be fair. But uh, there's still a lot of room in a wide open offense for uh, for Jaden Reed. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. I think he he has a chance to 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 be a focal point for years to come in that offense. Because I don't think they like I like I said they don't have a guy right now. They have a couple guys that can be and can step up into it, but it's wide open right now in terms of target competition. Yeah, and even in the tight end room, right? They drafted two this year, but yep. who knows what they're going to get right. from Luke Musgrave, who had you know forty-seven career uh, right, catches. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Um, awesome. I, I think that covers all we wanted to talk about. Thanks so much for joining me. This has been yeah, awesome. Anytime, just chopping up some of these prospects. Um, want to just give everyone a reminder of uh, your website and Twitter handle before we sign yeah, off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, Mike, thanks again for having me on. Um, I, I, I appreciate you, you thinking of me and, and letting me chop it up with you for an hour. Um, but you can find me on angeloanalysis.com. That's where a lot of my work is. Um, on Twitter at Angelo underscore fantasy. Um, still breaking down these prospects, trying to get it one or two out a week. Um, but yeah, looking forward to the to rest of this off season as mini camps start and, and we get into preseason mode. 
Yeah, absolutely pumped for that. And and really just want to shout out that website. It's only 50 bucks a year for some of the most in-depth breakdowns, really all you need for your dynasty leagues. It's worth $50 to either win a league or to be able to brag to your friends. So either way, definitely worth it. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks so much, everyone listening to Dynasty Zoltan podcast. We'll be back very soon with another episode and appreciate all of your support.